This episode is brought to you by Allstate. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Hop, hop, hooray! Nordstrom Rack's got sweet deals on everything Easter, which is Sunday, March 31st. Get to Nordstrom Rack now and save on Kate Spade, New York, Two-Faced, Steve Madden, Calvin Klein, and more from just $30. Score great brands and great prices on Easter looks for everyone. Plus, spring decor, gifts, and all kinds of deliciousness. Rack up the deals today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? And we're back with breaking news. Coke Zero Sugar might be the best Coke ever. That's right, Jim. Make sure to... Jim. Ooh, yes, this tastes like the best Coke ever to me. We're on the air. I need to try it first. Yeah. With zero sugar and refreshingly delicious, is Coca-Cola Zero Sugar the best Coke ever? Pick some up at Hy-Vee today. Bulls fans, welcome to Bulls HQ, a Chicago Bulls podcast. Thank you for joining us on this episode live from Spotify Green Room. Rather, I am Mark K from Australia, and he's Will the Goat Gottlieb. Will, how are you, sir? You know, I've been better. Uh, we were just chatting before <laughs> hitting record here, and I can't really decide how if I like how serious I'm taking this game. It was like really just 24 terrible minutes of basketball, but I'm going back and forth, um, hoping that by the end of this podcast i will be off the ledge well they, look they play they played what 30 really good minutes of basketball like halfway up until the third quarter I mean, we're obviously recording this straight after the next game if we if you haven't caught on but yeah i mean 30 minutes of good basketball obviously not enough and then kd and and harden went absolutely berserk in the third quarter and that was pretty much the game and the bulls had no absolutely no response at all and Maybe let go of the rope if we want to use an old Tibbs coin there. But uh, look, I'm not mad. But having said that, I'm I'm sort of oscillating between between not being mad and trying to be zen about this whole thing, but then also going full you know full crazy on these dopes who are who are having a field day at the moment, suggesting that this is for whatever reason a I don't know, some time, some some type of re- uh, reflection about the difference between the Bulls and the Nets and how this one singular game is essentially de- determining where the East will ultimately, I guess, end up despite the fact that the Bulls coming into this game had already, had already beaten the Nets twice. So, uh, look, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe as you as we go through the podcast, you'll spur me on and I'll get mad again later. But at, at the moment, I'm trying to be Phil Jackson about this. Yeah, I think... Um... It's frustrating and like I can see why people would be upset. Obviously, you want to win these games, right? Like that's very baseline. Um, you want to be able to compete at a high level against the best teams. And when the Bulls played the Nets in the past, they were down Kyrie at least, and I think Harden in one of those two games. Um obviously they got like just walloped by the Warriors um back in November, which a game I was at in person and um it's always fun to watch Steph Curry drop 40 in real life, but um, a little less fun when it's against your home team. Um, so it is, I would say, a little concerning that, like, you know, the teams that they're playing or that are, you know, top of the league, they haven't been quite as competitive with. But I think to your point, they did play a solid, like, 24 to 30-ish minutes of pretty competitive basketball um, in the first half. And I think there's, there's some positive takeaways there, obviously. Um, yeah, I think let go of the rope is a good way to say it. The second half was just like, just, they gave up, which is fine when you're down 35. Um, the Nets won the third quarter 39 to 19. They were already up like five or so going into half. 
Um, and when that happens, it's just like kind of a gut punch. But I think we can zoom out and sort of rewind a little bit here um, and just hit some news and notes. I think first and foremost, in minute one of the game, um, Derek Jones Jr. was in transition and um, came down on his knee, which looked very ugly um, if you saw the replay. But uh, that, I, I mean... I don't want to make any assumptions, but that did not look good. And I would not be surprised if his, if he missed some time. Um, obviously the bulls are still without Caruso, Javante green and, um, Patrick Williams. So the depth is hurting. We saw a lot of McKinney. We saw some Troy Brown, but, um, that was a big piece of news coming out of that game. Um, anything else we need to hit on there? No, I think that's I think that's key because uh, and it, and it kind of justifies why I'm not trying to or not trying, but why I'm not super mad about this whole thing. Like the Bulls, when healthy, their defense is set up to 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 defend the Nets pretty well. And as Salim sort of mentions here in the discussion here on Spotify Green Room, like the Bulls losing their backup to their backup power forward wasn't an ideal start to the game. Like, and literally happened within the first few seconds of the game. Like, he was the one that was going to draw the Kevin Durant matchup, and then when he has to come out because it looks like a hyper hyper extended knee, I'm I'm speculating as to what it is, but that's kind of what it looked like. But it didn't look good nonetheless. But like when he comes out and you have to pl- uh, throw in Alfonso McKinsey, McKinney, who. You know, until recently, was a was a hardship ten day guy. Like ultimately, McKinney is going to be playing any real minutes. He's a third string guy, and you're putting him up against Kevin Durant. Like, why are we surprised that Kevin Kevin Durant goes off? Similarly, like you're out without with uh, Caruso. Like Caruso is going to grab one of Kyrie or Harden, probably Harden. I'm assuming. Maybe help. Maybe he's guarding Durant. Who knows? But even away away from Caruso, like you don't have Javante Green and. I think that matters. So there's, you know, I had a lot of people coming at me and, and saying that, you know, the Nets were starting two rookies and the Bulls can't necessarily complain about, you know, the lack of players that they were missing. But, you know, fair enough. But at the same time, like the the players that the Bulls were missing were the guys that were directly guarding, you know, a Durant or a Harden or a Kyrie Irving. Whereas, you know, the Nets missing whoever their starting center is, LaMarcus Aldridge, like him being out doesn't necessarily uh, cripple their, de- their defense or change maybe the scope of, the, of what they can be on defense. And sim- similarly with like Kessler Edwards guarding Levine or something like that. Who else are they going to put out there? He's like, is jo- Joe Harris really changing their defense from that standpoint? So I don't know. I thought the Bulls being without those guys was, was quite critical. And I'm not exactly, I'm, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure rather that, uh, sorry, I'm not entirely surprised that they dropped this game because, I mean, the defense had already been trend- trending to being quite average without Caruso and, and without Javante. So I'm not surprised they lost this. Um, the Nets are obviously really damn good. Am I a bit disappointed, obviously, in the way that second half turned out? Yeah, for sure. But it's one damn game. And if there's one thing that annoys me about sports takes, sports cultures, sports narratives, and all that sort of nonsense is the way people react to one loss and want to make a holistic narrative about one singular game that that's that's what's that's what annoys me i suppose and that's why i'm maybe starting to get annoyed as i'm talking about this now and i think that's fair i think also um you know if you just look at like some of the shot making like we know Kyrie, harden durant those guys are gonna like make really tough shots but as a whole like the team shot 53 percent on threes patty mills was six of eight like it just it kind yeah. of snowballed and i think once that happens you know the the point differential is going to take more of a hit than like you know my opinion about how good this team is and can be um so yeah it was a tough loss it's one game if this were a playoff series like they would be down 0-1 or they would be you know whatever like the count would be it's one game um yeah. so i don't think like it's it's wise to overreact to it the nets are a great team we already knew this um, you're not going to like sweep the Brooklyn Nets team when they're fully healthy. It's just not going to happen. So, um, I do think there are some, like some interesting takeaways that they'll have to like address in the film for next time they play. Um, but, uh, I do think just going back to your point about the defense, um, the, the trend downward there is definitely concerning me a little bit, um, more so than like the raw point outcome of this game. Yeah, look, I, I I would be more concerned if you had like if they had their entire squad. That like that's when I would be concerned. But you know, 
when you, when you're out with without Caruso, when you're out with Javante Green, two guys who are fundamentally important to the defense, and not not only the defense and the structure of the defense itself, but also helping to to take away some of the miscues that you know Virch, Levine, DeRozan have on defense as well. Like it's it's a twofold impact from that standpoint. So to to be without those guys hurts more generally, but specifically against this Nets team that has their three best players being three perimeter guys, to be without Javante, who would have got one of these guys, would have whether it was Durant or, or Harden or Kyrie, and then obviously Caruso, like it, it does matter. So what I, I guess what and this is me maybe maybe just talking myself into it and maybe trying to um subconsciously not get too concerned with it, but like had the defense been slipping with Javante, with Caruso now with Derek Jones Jr. Um, out as well. Like if if they were all playing and the and the defense was sliding and they were regressing from that standpoint, then I would I would be concerned. But when you have personnel out and it's key guys that have that would have drawn the key matchups and we're you know forcing McKinney to guard Durant or we're forcing Io who has been great this season, but you're forcing him to sort of guard a Harden or a Kyrie and to step up in that depth type sort of thing, like. I guess I'm not surprised by the outcome in that sense. Like I said before, I'm annoyed. Uh, it's a little bit embarrassing. The first real big TV game in a long time. And it felt good, like I said, for 30 minutes. And then, you know, the last 18 were complete nonsense. But at the same time, I don't want to jump over the ledge over it. Like, I think I think the defense will be fine. So I'm looking at cleaning the glass right now, which has um, the offense and defensive efficiency over the last two weeks. And the Bulls are 13th in offense uh, at 113.7 points per 100 and 20th in defense, 114.1. I'm not sure if that that has been updated with tonight's outcome. Um, But, I mean, given that they're, you know, I think a top 10 defense, um, you know, on on the season on a whole... Um, obviously like that slide is something to keep an eye out for. I definitely agree that, you know, when you remove Lonzo's only been back for, for a few games, Caruso has been missing for a long time. Like I think a lot of teams are built, their defense is built around like their big band being able to contain and like funneling, um, dribble penetration into their big man. Like I think the best example mm-hmm. of it is the jazz where like basically yeah. they just run you off the three point line and go bear cleans up the trash. And I think the bulls are structured a little bit differently where like their two Mm -hmm. defensive anchors are their point of attack defenders. And I don't think there are very many teams who operate that way. And so when you remove them from the equation, it just, it becomes a little bit hard to even like believe what you're seeing because it's like, you know, if you were to remove DeMar DeRozan from the offense, like obviously they would look a lot different. I'm not saying that like, you know, Caruso is as good as DeMar, but I think in terms of like schematics and how the Bulls want to operate, like losing one of their two most important defensive players is obviously going to change who they are. Um, They also like rely a ton on turning over opponents. Um, The Nets had nine turnovers tonight. They just like couldn't get their hand in the passing lanes at all. Um, They'll hand nine fast break points, which is like really low for the bulls. So, um, I just think that they were kind of like neutered for lack of a better term by, um, not being able to create offense through defense, which is something that they usually hang their hat on. And then also just like I mentioned before that snowball effect of like, okay, now Katie's got three of four on threes and Harden's five of eight and Patty Mills is six of eight. Like it just, it takes a toll and, um, kind of cascades from there. Yeah, I, I guess this is the funny part to me. Like, Kari wasn't even good, and and maybe that's maybe that's one reason to be concerned. He really like, wasn't. I don't think he hit this. a shot until like the end of the first half, or maybe the start yeah. of the second. Yeah. Now, now maybe that's a reason to be concerned that Kari didn't necessarily do anything. But like, people are banging on about how like with the Nets' big three, ultimately the the, the talent gap that the the Nets ultimately have, but. Kyrie was non-existent. It was Patty Mills there who who uh, stepped up and you know really hurt the Bulls as that third guy for the Nets. But 
Um, what's become clear to me, Will, over the last few games, and it's it's been quite apparent with Caruso being out, is like despite how good I I, I rate and how much and how high I am uh, how high I am about uh, a four man grouping of uh, Levine, DeRozan, Vucevic, and and Lonzo Ball, like that that four man unit needs someone in their face grilling them, talking, energy, consistently communicating. Larry Golden on the on the on the on the on on the uh, discussion here on the on Spotify Green Room, like he he makes the point here that. Caruso is key in terms of organizing the defense. So, like in terms of what you said before about the balls being a little bit weird and different in terms of how their defense is structured, the fact that it's almost inverted, like it, it's centered around their guard defense. Whilst obviously that is definitely true in terms of the the output of the defense, it's it's also true about who the, def- the defensive co- coordinator on the floor is as well. Like you're missing a Caruso, you're missing someone like Javante who can be in there talking to those guys. But also from a pure energy standpoint, like when the Nets went on that run in the third quarter, the, the Bulls just needed someone to to make a hustle play, to make some sort of, you know, 50-50 play where they got in there and maybe changed the momentum slightly. I don't know. Obviously, it probably doesn't change the outcome of the game. But like guys like Lonzo, Levine, DeRozan, uh, Vooch, they're, they're kind of laconic type guys, lay, very laid back. And, and, and you almost need someone in there with those guys as a pairing to just sort of infuse some energy when they don't have it. And clearly they didn't have it after that halfway point of that third quarter. So that to me has become very apparent. Like obviously, you know, put aside the defensive side of things, but if you're going to keep that four-man group together, you really need like an energizer bunny sort of with those guys. And I don't know. It's a small thing, but it's, it's something I've noticed. And it was very uh, evident in the last game against the Mavs when the starting lineup with Derek Jones Jr. in, in, a, in a power forward with those four didn't really get off to a good start. Then in comes Io, and straight away the uh, it just felt like the momentum of this game change of, of the of momentum of that Mavs game changed at least. Now, obviously that wasn't the case here tonight, but you know I, I think that archetype of player with these four is quite critical, and uh, it's just been reaffirmed over the last few games for me. We've talked about it, I think, on every single pod since I've joined that, like, the way that pecking order is sorted out based on um, depth and availability is so important. And so, um, you know, when you mention uh, Io being able to come in off the bench and sort of be that guy, and Darnell Mayberry of The Athletic wrote a really great piece, um, I don't know if it was today or just recently, that um, talked about Io's relationship with. DeMar DeRozan and sort of how they balance each other out. And um, yeah, I think it's just, it's harder to be that guy when you're now expected to play like 30, 25, 30, 35 minutes. Um, The role just changes and um, you're expected to do different things. And so, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it can just be explained by the fact that they're missing like three or four key rotation players. Yeah. And and like on IO as well, like, not only does your role change game to game, but it, it changes within a game as well. And when he had three fouls in the first half or whatever it was, like the way he approaches his game thereafter changes as well. So it, I don't know. Like I'm trying not to get mad at it, but at the same time, well, I'm reading a tweet here by Ryan Russillo and I am now getting mad. And <laughs> let me read you this tweet. He says, I'm concerned about Chicago defending KD or Giannis in a playoff series. Wow. Are you, Ryan? Wow, thank you for that analysis. I'm pretty sure every goddamn team in the NBA is scared or concerned about defending KD or Giannis in a playoff series. Is that a shocking statement to you, Will? I mean, obviously not, but I do think it is. uh, (laughs) I mean, yes, there's like every good team has great players that are tough to guard. Like that's why they're good teams. Like it's just a very obvious statement, but I do think it um relates back to this idea that we've talked a lot a lot about um which i don't want to like totally derail our conversation here but like it's probably a good reason to like go out and get another good player because you don't necessarily have a top five or three top 10 players the way the nets do um or like the like greater than the sum of their parts like trio that the warriors have or um, even like the, the Bucks big three or the heat or the 76ers, like they aren't always going to have the best player on the floor. And so, um, making sure that like, you're always playing good players and, uh, yeah, I mean, especially at that four spot now with Derek Jones out, like that kind of move would make a lot of sense if they can pull it off. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I, I, I take your point. Like, yeah. 
I, I certainly take your point. I'll say that. Like, obviously, we've we've discussed here on this podcast, as as have a number of people before on other podcasts, Bulls podcasts, Cash Considerations dudes, um, virtually every other Bulls podcast out there, every Bulls fan on Twitter, wherever. Like, we're we're talking about you know the the NBA trade deadline and and whether this team needs to make a trade to really cement itself as a contender or not. And and I don't want to get into the whole. You know, singular game being a determinant as to whether or not, um, you know, we should go down a, a singular path or whatever it may be. But I don't know. It's just frustrating when you saw you see sort of that level of analysis from whoever it may be. Even on the broadcast tonight, there was just junk analysis as well. But like every single team is going to have a Kevin Durant problem. Every single team is going to have a, a Giannis problem. Like I, there, there's nothing the Bulls can do at the deadline that's going to necessarily change that. Can they reduce the impact of what that, um, what KD or, or Giannis could do to the team? Yes. But like by percentage points, how much is that actually going to change things? I don't know, but I, I, I just, stuff like that irritates me, I guess. And I think the problem too, is that like the Bulls in this game, at least, and I think in a lot of these games is that they're just like trying to go shot for shot with whoever they play. And at some point, they run into a bit of a math problem because DeRozan is taking elbow jumpers, and obviously that's two points. And the like Nets barrage of seventeen for thirty-two on threes—it's like a little hard to to fight with that. Um, and so, yeah, I think you just like have to have as many good options as you can get your hands on moving forward, um, as as many good defenders that you can you know switch or funnel guys into, um, or more reliable three-point shooters, uh, secondary playmakers and things like that. But I mean, yeah, you're never going to be able to defend any of these guys. Like there are a couple of plays and I've watched a lot of KD, you know, covering the Warriors for, um, several years and watching him up close. The fact that he can come off of like a double stagger pin down and like have an open look off the catch or off the move but then decide to wait for Alfonso McKinney to like get back into a defensive stance in front of him just so that he can then shoot over a guy because he can like a lot of guys need to like use those screens to create space enough to have a look. And Katie, there were a couple of times where he just like waited till, you know, McKinney got back in front of him and then hit a jumper over him. So it's like, nobody's guarding that guy. Like, yeah, I mean, it's a dumb tweet. I don't know what else to say other than, like, not only is that going to be a problem for anybody, but it's also just, like, not the way that the Bulls' defense operates. So it's almost just, like, really not worth listening to. Very lazy analysis. You're right, but now I've gone down the rabbit hole of, of looking at bad tweets, and now I'm angry. So um, I've successfully, or unsuccessfully, depending on the <laughs> the view you want to take on it, I've uh, seen some um, Nick Friedel tweets here. I've seen some tweets from Joe Cuckley from the uh, Chicago Sun-Times, but I'll ignore those. Let's push on. Um, I mean, yeah, it's going to be interesting because the next game is against the Warriors. The Warriors are uh, without Clay. They're without Draymond. Um and it'll be interesting to see how the Bulls respond to this because obviously they have on some level been embarrassed here. Like obviously you didn't expect to come into this game and the, and the Bulls were essentially the, all the goodwill that they gained from absolutely destroying the, the Pistons the other night in terms of a point differential point of view. Like that, the majority of that went out the window against, against the Nets here. But like I'm assuming they're going to come back and be a little bit more, um, I don't know. I don't know what the right word for it is, but I'm assuming they're going to come out and hopefully tear up the uh, the Warriors who, you know, they haven't necessarily been playing that well of late either. Like their offense has really started to stall and they really needed Clay to come back. Clay's not playing. Draymond's not playing, as I mentioned before. So it's just going to be Steph. And when it was essentially just Steph and Draymond, their, their offense really started to falter to the point where that was sort of falling down to the bottom 10 in terms of offense. But you didn't really hear about... I don't know, that narrative didn't necessarily exist because Clay was coming back and I guess that was a talking point. But I don't know, it's just funny how that stuff goes ignored. People talk about the Warriors as a real championship contender and a real threat. But here here we are after a Bulls losing to, to the Nets here that after one singular game where KD just, you know, does Kevin Durant things that, you know, for whatever reason, now the Bulls aren't in the league of the Nets uh you know, according to certain people. So it's, it's certain things like that that just irritate me. I'm expecting the Bulls to come out and to play much better against the Warriors. And I don't know how you feel about it, Will. Like, would you have rather played 
Um, the Warriors full strength with Clay and, and Draymond. Maybe your answer before and after the Nets game may have been different. But um, wh- I mean, would you have preferred to face the Warriors full strength, um, especially after this loss? Now, absolutely, I would love like you. You want to be able to like test yourself and like see not only like how you comp- compare with the top teams in the league, but like how do you respond from sort of a beatdown like this? So yeah, I think it's sort of a missed opportunity. But it's also still a really good team. They are very well coached. They run their system incredibly well. And they have guys who can step in and and play different roles. So I'm not like writing this one off as as a W just yet. I think also like they, I don't think they've like won one of these national TV games yet. So um, I would like to see them like come out and make a statement. But at the end of the day, like, to just going back to what you were just saying, like it's, it's sort of a track record thing. Like obviously people are going to believe in the nets because they have a bunch of super talented guys that have been there and done that. And they work together and they are like sort of on paper, sort of an unstoppable force. And people believe in Steph Clay and Draymond and Steve Kerr because they went to four finals or five finals or whatever it was. And they have a track record and the bulls are like their track record right now is like DeRozan is like the guy who's like good in the regular season, but like fails in the playoffs. And Zach Levine is the empty calorie scorer. Who's not good enough to be like, these are still their reputations until they change them. So I think the bulls are going to have these sorts of question marks after every loss. Um, And they're going to have losses. And that's why it's important that you, you know, rack off, nine straight wins and start to like get a little bit of a buffer in the standings because they're still in first. Yeah, completely agree. And, and every team is going to lose to to teams that they shouldn't. Now, you would hope the Bulls would beat the Nets and they have already beaten the Nets twice this season. So that's why I'm not overly concerned. But like the Nets literally earlier in the week, they lost to the Blazers. The Blazers were without Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum and the, and the Nets. They didn't have uh, Harden in that game, but they had Durant and Kyrie and they, they lost that game. So, you know, teams will lose games, I guess is the point. So maybe uh, Nick Friedel can remember that, you know, <laughs> at a later point. But again, I'm going down that path again, but I'll, I'll step out of it. Maybe we, maybe we can move on. Let's talk about some some trading stuff. We sort of alluded alluded to it before around, you know, whether, whether the Bulls need to make a move or not, whether a game like this maybe is a reflection of that or not, or, you know, more holistically, this is something that the Bulls should be thinking about regardless. But... I don't know, there was a, a report going around from Mike Scotto, if I'm not mistaken, um, around the yep. Bulls being willing to trade Kobe, but not necessarily being willing to trade Patrick Williams. I uh, thought I'd get your thoughts on that as to you know the credibility of that report, if you think there's any legs to it, and if there is, does that, does that thinking make sense to you? Okay, so with the exception of Lonzo being traded for sign-and-trade um, at the... Um, free agency opening this past year, every single move that AK has made has been like real G's move in silence. You know, like they, he just, nothing leaks. And so I'm not sure that like a Mike Scott report is going to make me lean one way or, or another about it. Like maybe, but it's not Woj, it's not Shams and it's not news. So um, I can see them being very attached to Pat but as we've talked about, like AK is not afraid to pull the trigger. He is a dude who knows what he wants and wants to win. And um, they've reserved some of these like younger assets as in Kobe and Pat. And you either try to develop them into being contributors to like match and maximize the current window or you trade them. Um, I think in terms of where the roster stands right now and like what the weakness and gaps are, um, obviously the four position is the biggest need right now. I think just from like a depth chart perspective, you've got Lonzo Caruso, Zach Damar as sort of like backcourt ball handler types. Um, obviously like most of those guys can play together. And in fact, we will probably see a ton of minutes where they are all playing together, but the four spot is really, I think 
where they need to upgrade, obviously. And um, it's probably going to take more than like a gunner shooting guard off the bench to be able to upgrade that spot. Who knows? Like, yeah, maybe maybe yeah. the Kings are like, yeah, we'll just give away Harrison Barnes or something for Kobe. But um, I just I don't think it's realistic to think that you're going to get a good player in return for like not as good a player, like straight up. It's just, it's not how it works. Um, I do think there's a ton of value in a player like Kobe on the bulls where you have somebody who can come in, play alongside most of the four um, guys that I just mentioned and be sort of a gunner. But I think you can also find those guys like relatively cheaply um, or like some version of it. Maybe that's even more reliable than Kobe. Like Kobe is on an absolute heater over his last two weeks and it's like made everybody forget about you know 15 days ago when they like wanted his head and he couldn't make a shot and he you know gives up backdoor layups and all these things um he's super hot and super cold like it just is what it is um so they do need somebody who can do that and if kobe can be that guy and get hot at the right time that's awesome but He's been so volatile that it's hard to like say, yeah, he'll get hot when the playoffs start because you you just have no idea. Yeah, I, I look, I certainly, I I definitely agree agree with your assessment there. But I mean, we're at a point in this season where the Bulls are going to get more value out of Kobe White on the court than they than they are Patrick Williams, and that's even if Patrick Williams comes back. And I don't know why people are assuming this, but in the event that Pat does come back, like why? Oh, not why, but we shouldn't be expecting Patrick Williams to have any influence on this season at all. Like, even if he comes back, he may be back for a few weeks, a month, whatever it may be. If if if, if it's even that, who the hell knows? I'm just speculating. But if he does get back, like we saw how long it took Kobe to get back, and and the fact that it took him multiple weeks, multiple games to get right after you know a significant injury, and and the one that Pat's got now is also significant, and he's not going to be playing for a long, long, long time. So like. Pat isn't going to come back and really change or influence this season at all. So, to me, that's key. Like, if you can have, I mean, if you can swing a trade where you can you can throw away Kobe and some other piece like Troy Brown Jr. and a first round pick that Portland pick, which won't be coming to the Bulls this season, it doesn't seem with Dame going out for six to eight weeks now after he's having his um, surgery here. So it doesn't seem like the, the Bulls are going to be able to get anything, or they won't be getting that Portland pick. I'm assuming. I don't know if you compare that up with Kobe and TBJ and, and you know, that that can, you know, add up to $11, $12 million in outgoing salary and for somehow that nets you a power forward that we're discussing. Like, if you can do that, fine. And if you can have Javante on the bench, Derek Jones Jr. on the bench and uh, Patrick Williams coming back and you don't really have to rely on him, like, that would be perfect. But you have to give up something to get something at some point. So... I look. I, I just keep coming back to the fact that if this is the season the Bulls have to go in, because who the hell knows what DeRozan is going to be like next season? Same with Vucevic; they're thirty-one, thirty-two years of age. Like, if this is your season, then does it make sense to give up someone like Patrick Williams? I, I, you know, I've made it pretty clear that I, I would be happy to do so. But it seems like so, there's a lot of people s- still, uh, you know, very much against the premise. But I, I, another thing that I keep coming back to, Will, like, is like. Has Patrick Patrick Williams rather lost in value as an asset at this point? Like, if he doesn't come back this season, then he's basically going to be the next time we see him a a third year forward who's played seventy six career games and who's proven little. Or if he does come back, he's going to be a a, a, you know a second year player who's only played a handful of games this season, who will probably look worse than he did to at the start of this uh, you know at the start of this season where he looked really bad in his first five games. So like, I can't. I can't imagine Patrick Williams' value right now is actually quite high as an asset. Like, maybe I'm wrong in that. Maybe other teams still believe in the fact that, you know, he, someone with his size and his potential abilities that um, he can be, you know, someone that does have a lot of value or carries a lot of value. But to me, at least, I, I think he's actually lost a lot of value as an asset this season. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a fair question to have. I think he's so young that... If you're a GM, and, and I think also like uh, given his position, I think he still has a ton of value. Like we're hearing all the Jeremy Grant stuff, we're hearing all the Harrison Barnes stuff or Siakam, 
because those guys are versatile forwards that can play make and play defense. And like in theory, that's what Patrick Williams can become. And I say that very intentionally because he isn't that yet. Like people peg him as, you know, a very plus defender right now. That's not the case. Um, He isn't really able to create shots for himself or others, but he shows flashes. And I think that's not lost on GMs around the league. I think he would have a ton of value. Um, And I understand why fans like have an attachment to that because he was a high draft pick um, and he does have potential and he fits the role that we are missing right now. Um, But like what happens if in what happens if Patrick Williams upside is Jeremy Grant, which I think is like, uh, you know, that'd be a great outcome, right? Like if he could become a, a playmaking big wing who can defend at a high level and shoot threes and be like a connecting piece um, as far as a passer on the perimeter, like that'd be ideal. That's what Jeremy Grant is right now. Um, And by the time Patrick Williams becomes that when he's age 26 or 27, like he's 20 years old right now, we're not going to like wait around for DeMar to be 42 so that (laughs) Patrick Williams can, you know what I mean? Like it's just, yeah, yeah. You have to like, you have to play the game. Um, if you are trying to win, you got to try to win now and figure out the rest later. And I get that the cupboard would be pretty dry um, with picks going out to the Magic and to the Spurs. And without Pat or Kobe, you pretty much are just like, you have the roster that you have. However, the roster that you have has a 26 year old Zach Levine and a 24 year old Lonzo Ball and a 25-year-old Alex Caruso. Like, it's not like this team is going to suck in three years. And if anything, like, I believe that AK will find a way to, like, be competitive because basically the roster that he had was, like, a 28-win team that had parts that he, like, he flipped the entire team. So I wouldn't be too worried about, like, not being able to come back and win um, in the future. But going back to your original question is... I do think Patrick Williams has value as an asset. Um, I think teams would be crazy to not want him just given what he could be, but those teams are also going to have to be patient because to your point, he's not really going to help you now. And that's what the bulls need. Yeah. Maybe I'm just down on Pat unfairly. I don't know, but I don't know. I don't look, I don't, I don't know. I, I, don't, I just don't rate him like I did maybe this time last year, but nonetheless, like just to give you a bit of a snapshot of where the fan fan base is thinking, and maybe this is unfair of me because it's literally only two people. So maybe it's wrong of me to equate two people to the entire fan base, but there's certainly people within the fan base who just love the young guys. And and maybe that's just always going to be the case. No matter when you draft a young player, for whatever reason, fans of the team just find it an attachment to those guys. But like I had someone yesterday, yesterday or the day before tell me that, um, the only player smarter than Patrick Williams in the uh, 2020 draft was uh, LaMelo Ball, and I found that quite amusing. But then I also had another <laughs> person telling mean? me the other day that <laughs> I don't know. It's like Tyrese Halliburton and a whole bunch of other guys just don't exist. But um, And then I had another person the other day tell me that, um, the, that Io, uh, Kobe, and, and Pat I like the next phase of the Bulls' big three. Like that's going to be the next, the next big, the Bulls' next big three. And I guess if you add Lonzo and, and Levine on that, then there you go. There's a, an amazing team there. So, I mean, if if you have that mindset, if you have that belief, then I can understand why you don't want to trade those guys for someone like Jeremy Grant or Harrison Barnes, who a lot of people probably haven't watched since he has left the uh, the Golden State Warriors. But at the same time, like if I get it, if that's your mindset, if that's what you believe fine but i i guess i'm more mocking you for you believing that i suppose but i don't know i just don't understand i just don't understand how people are so attached to the young guys particularly with what we're seeing this season from the key vets who are proven commodities but i don't know we'll find out in due course as to as to what will happen but i I guess another point that i want to talk about today sorry to cut in but like I also no, think good. you just you can't really have it both ways. Like you can't you can't say yeah. like oh the the Bulls got their ass kicked by the Nets and they're not competitive because X Y and Z reasons. But then also like not want to give up assets to get better. Like are, do you just want to like be a fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth seed? Like no, nobody wants to do that. So you got to like make up your mind. And I think at the end of the day, um it's very difficult to like develop young guys and also compete 
at the same time, we've found this out the hard way over the last couple of years. Um, but we're doing a pretty good job of that right now. And it's not like we're never going to have picks again. Like if anything, AK has shown that he's forward thinking in the draft. He'll, you know, take a swing on Patrick Williams when Pat was not supposed to go in the top four, let alone like the top 10. And he drafted IO at 38 or whatever it was like, we'll be able to bring in young players. They still have the, the Blazers pick, which obviously won't convey this year. And then they'll have their own pick this year. They'll have their own pick after in 20, what is it? 24. So they'll have picks. Like we'll be able to get young players. Um, I get the attachment, Mm -hmm. but if you want to win now, you have to make that sacrifice. Yeah, for sure. And look, I don't care what people feel about Vucevic and boy, have the Vucevic takes been flying over the last week or so. And I won't get into that, get into that because that again, annoys me. But um, like, I, I still maintain, despite me being a Wendell stand, that they didn't really give up much for, for Vooch. Like, he gave up a, a third-year player that most of the fan base were over at this point and two future first-round picks. Now, if it comes to the point where in a year or two, Patrick Williams is trending in the same way that Larry was or Wendell was, and you're prepared to attach a couple future first-round picks to him, then, you know, in the years that DeRozan and Vooch are gone, then to your point, you can re-up this team around Levine, Lonzo, or whoever it may be, and get in another star in the same way that they did with Vooch. Like, you can, so long as you're prepared to give things up, then you can make things happen in the NBA. That, well, Jokic I guess is, the only issue Jokic was... Is coming in 23, so they'll be able to... Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the uh, the grand plan, obviously, clearly. But nonetheless, like the, I guess what's going to be interesting over the next month is just seeing how like the rest of the league reacts as to where they fit on the standings, where their particular teams are. I sort of loosely mentioned the Blazers before with the Bulls maybe not getting their pick in 2022 because Dane's going to be out for the next six to eight weeks. I'm, I'm assuming that's going to shore up their, their tank to a degree. But similarly, with a team like the, the the Clippers, for example, who already are without Kawhi for most of the season, if not all of the season, who knows when Paul George is coming back? I believe Jake Fisher had a report that um, the Clippers may, I don't know, they may entertain a fire sale of sorts. So, like, it'll be interesting to see if, if they become sellers at the deadline, and, and if they do, well, is there anyone on that Clippers squad that you would be interested in? Maybe the Bulls going after. We've we've obviously talked about Jeremy Grant and Harrison Barnes ad nauseum at this point, but. Maybe there'll be other candidates that open up towards the the trade deadline. Is there anyone on the Clippers that uh, that tickles your fancy? Yeah, I definitely think over the next... So the trade deadline is February 10. It's January 12th now. Um, Teams will sort of like sort of um, find more of where they're going to be in the standings and maybe Paul George gets injured for the year and and the Clippers try to make a uh, fire sale or Dame goes down with an abdominal injury that requires surgery. Um, there are definitely going to be teams that try to sell off parts. Um, I think on the Clippers, I would love Nick Batum. I think he's a big wing who can yeah. pass, shoot. Um, he's old, but he, I think, can still defend at a high enough level, especially in a more help-heavy scheme um, where he wouldn't necessarily have to be like the point-of-attack guy um, in the way that the Bulls run their defense. Um, I think he'd be ideal, but they also have Marcus Morris, who's making $15 million. It would be a little bit tricky um, to figure out money there. And Serge Ibaka, who I think is a little washed, but he's only making $9 million. Yeah. He's a He's an expiring. Um, you also have the Blazers. And I, um, Chris Emmonson mentioned this in our chat um, this afternoon because like the idea of just having gotten Larry Nance back for Markkanen instead of Derek Jones and the Blazers pick is has always like sort of intrigued me but he made the point that like maybe AK was worried about having to give up a first round pick in the tampering investigation so I get that but um nonetheless Larry Nance is is high on my list of targets and then um Tory Craig has made his rounds on Twitter um I've been super high on that idea so some some lower level options that I think could really help the team at that combo forward position um pass playmake shoot defend sort of guys um that can be kind of like fiery i think i think the bulls really need that especially without uh javante in the lineup i i don't think i could ever get to the point where i could root for a morris brother on a bulls team i, I don't think i could mentally get there it would so be, it would be a challenge for sure 
It would certainly be tough. So I, I can't, I have to rule him out. And there's probably not a lot of other guys on the Clippers that I would be interested in. Batum is certainly one. Hartenstein is one as well as a backup center. Like that would be He'd interesting. Be great. I love Hartenstein. Maybe you could get Zubach to be your backup center. I don't know, but like, there's not a ton of guys there that I'm that interested in. Like Terrence Mann, yes, but like he's similar to Io, so it doesn't really make sense for the Bulls. The other so, thing that's uh, interesting about the Clippers is that they don't own their pick this year. It goes to the Thunder and the Paul George trade. Yeah. And Kawhi's yeah. obviously out. So um obviously they're not gonna be a very good team, but I don't really see why, like, unless they get picks back, it doesn't really make sense that they would sell off pieces to try to get worse. Um, so they'll they'll obviously require like younger players on better contracts and or picks. Um, the Bulls have all, yeah, all of I mean, those things, but um, it is just kind of a curious situation with them. That or it's a cash thing. Like if for whatever reason Barmer just doesn't, right. want, doesn't want to pay tax because you're not going to be a, a real team, you're not going to contend for anything, and you're you're fitting a huge bill this year, and maybe you're you know that'll be part of the calculus for a repeaters tax in years to come, sort of thing. So maybe that's part of it as well. But yeah, look, I love the idea of Larry Nance, but I mean, what are you getting up to get Larry Nance? Like, you, they're not going to give you Derek Jones. You know, Derek Jones for Larry Nance is it going to work? Are you going to trade Kobe for for Larry Nance? I, pr- I probably wouldn't even do that to be honest with you at this point because Kobe has a role like that bench unit needs his scoring. If you take that off, whilst I would love to add Larry Nance to the bench, like. I don't know. I, I think I think you need Kobe in that instance, but I mean, would they take Troy Brown Jr. and maybe their pick back, or I don't know what it looks like, something else? But it would be t- tough to kind of make that money work as well because he's sort of got that mid-sized contract, which the Bulls don't really have a lot of players, you know, earning that type of money. The only guy that really makes nine, ten sort of million dollars in money is Derek Jones Jr., which again they're not going to take him back, so that doesn't really make sense. So yeah, I, I love the idea of Larry Nance, but I, I don't think it's feasible. Yeah, I think it would have to be a three-team trade where yeah, the Blazers maybe, yeah. get Troy Brown and somebody from a third team. The Bulls get Nance and then send somebody else to to the third team. But um, yeah, it's tricky. And I think the Bulls don't have a ton of, unless they were to like really blow it up and move Vooch, which I think, at least I don't want to speak for you, but for me, I think I'm past that idea. I, I don't think that would be smart. Um, never really did. But um they don't have a ton of like movable salary to bring back another super high level player. So putting the puzzle pieces together is going to be a bit of a challenge. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. So we've got, we've got a question here from Salim Sudawala, uh, Salim from, um, from Ghoul's Gold. He's um, on the chat here. He asks, um, have we sort of uh, maybe undervalued, undervalued or underrated Troy Brown Jr. as an asset? Um, and tr- to be fair, Troy Brown Jr. has been playing really well over the last sort of five to 10 games. So, are we underrating him as an asset and is he someone that maybe could net you a Tory Craig level type play? Like I can't expect Troy Brown Jr. will get you your Harrison Barnes or or your Jeremy Grant in a sort of one for one type trade, but maybe he could be part of a package deal. But you know, as a singular piece, could he be someone that nets you something um like a Tory Craig level play, like a, a seventh or eighth guy in a in a rotation. Does that sort of make sense um in terms of what we could maybe get back for Troy Brown Jr.? How do you feel about Troy Brown Jr.? Like we we haven't necessarily talked about him a lot on Bulls HQ. Yeah, good question. And um just before even digging into that, um I know we've got a handful of people uh in the off stage area. If you want to raise your hand and come up on stage you're more than welcome. I am not seeing speaker requests. So I think Mark, you're, you're managing those, but if you want to come up or you just have a question you want in the chat, we'll try to get to everything. Um, I like Troy Brown, Troy Brown. I liked him a lot in Washington. He showed a ton of playmaking shot shops. He is six, seven long wingspan, obviously a very solid defender. He's getting a ton of steals lately and has been, you know, defending. He had a couple of plays against Harden, which I thought he did pretty well. So he's playing at a good level and he's only 22. I could see like, you know, one of those teams taking the Garprax approach of getting younger and more athletic could be interested in taking him on. Um, He's, I believe an expiring deal or restricted free agent. So that could get tricky, but I definitely think he's like a young prospect that I would be interested in. Yeah. I, I guess that's where I, you know, he's had his moments this season. 
to, to be fair, and, and, and like Salim noted, like he's been well of late or been playing well of late. So maybe that gives him some value. But to be honest with you, I think his $5 million expiring contract is the, the main reason why Troy Brown Jr. would have value. Like it's not like he has years left on his deal to the point where he can be, you know, easily re- retained on certain uh, certain years if you trade for him you're like you're gonna have to re-sign him to a new deal who the hell knows what that deal will, will look like it probably won't exceed much more than five million dollars to be fair could give him you know the output of his career at this point but i don't know maybe someone will take a punt on him and, and get his get his bird rights and maybe we'll want him in restricted free agency from that perspective but uh, look i i think he has more value as an expiring contract than anything else to be honest with you so Maybe I'm underrating Troy Brown Jr. Salim, but um, hopefully other NBA teams around the league are not doing so. Hopefully they, you know, rate him quite highly to the point where he can maybe, you know, s- s- ship him off to one of these teams that are going to be sellers, let's say, in the Bulls of Buyers, and maybe that's one of the pieces that they could maybe uh, exchange. That that would be ideal. Um, Justin Booker, though, on the on the on the chat, he says Troy Brown is trash. So <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm not sure if uh, he does have a lot of value. Salim's telling us maybe that um, maybe we're undervaluing uh, undervaluing Troy Troy Brown Jr. But then uh, Justin here is saying Troy Brown is trash. So maybe it's somewhere in the middle. The truth is often in the middle. I mean, I think like if I'm taking money back, there are certainly worse projects to take on. Like he was for the for those who like love. You know, where was this guy drafted? He was like a first round pick, middle of the first round pick. He's athletic. He's long. He's shooting the the three ball at a higher level this year. He can pass a little bit. He can get some steals. Like he's 22. I don't know. I mean, he's not like Patrick Williams level asset, but he's not like, I don't know. I wouldn't call him trash, Justin. Sorry. Fair enough. Uh, fair enough. Uh, look, I'm not a big Troy Brown Jr. fan, to be honest with you. Um, let, let's let's use his five million dollars and bring something else in. Uh, Tory Craig, I believe, earns five million as well. So um, it, it kind of makes sense there from a salary point of view. But uh, look, I, I'm not sure if you have any other crazy trades, Will, that we need to discuss here. Like we're getting closer to the deadline, so I'm assuming that uh, we'll be able to doctor up some things over you know the coming weeks. And as news sorts of drops, maybe there's there'll be new reports linking. I guess the balls to teams, but probably not. Like going back to what we sort of talked about before when we started this conversation, like I, I just don't believe any reports that do or don't link the balls to specific deals. Like whether the balls are excluded from a trade, like there was a report from Shams earlier the week about Jeremy Grant and teams interested in him. Uh, Chicago wasn't one of those teams. I wasn't concerned that they weren't one of those teams linked to Jeremy Grant. But similarly, like when you see reports from someone, whoever it may be, saying that the balls are you know, keen on keeping Pat, but maybe uh, willing to trade Kobe again. I don't necessarily put much stock into that as well, because to be fair, like when AK speaks on the airwaves, which is very rarely, like even when he does though, like he says a lot, but doesn't really say anything of note. <laughs> um, but beyond that as well, like I, I just don't think there's a lot of reporters connected to him to the point where he would actually, or, you know, where they would know exactly what the Bulls are thinking, what they're going to say or, or, or prepared to do at the deadline sort of thing. So, um, yeah, from that standpoint, I don't know if there's going to be much that we actually learn before before it actually happens, which you, you mentioned before. So, a lot of this is kind of elementary, to, to be fair. It's just going to be us speculating over the next few weeks, wondering what's going to happen, if anything's going to happen. Yeah, I might just go like full Bill Simmons and um, tweet out a bunch of screenshots from Trade Machine Um <laughs> because it's fun and I like to do that um, and stir up some. No one should go full Bill Simmons. That's, <laughs> that's too far. That's that's too far. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll see. I I agree with you that like anything you hear is take it with a grain of salt. But um, I do think regardless of Pat or Kobe or whatever Blazers pick, like I do think there will be a move because – they're too good right now to to not try to improve. Yeah, I I definitely agree. And um, you know, I, I, nothing that I saw tonight against the Nets has changed my opinion. If anything, it's sort of reaffirmed what I already thought. And this is the season to go for it. Um, I hope people aren't dissuaded by what they saw against the Nets tonight. Hopefully, they're not too uh, annoyed by it. But and and hopefully, the Bulls respond against the Warriors. I, regardless of what's going to happen, will like over the next couple of weeks, based on the schedule, like the Bulls have a tough schedule over the next couple of weeks. We obviously uh, started with a loss earlier in the week against the Mavs. 
uh, had a win against the Pistons. Obviously, we saw the loss tonight against the Nets, but they've got the Warriors coming up on Friday. Saturday night, they're at Boston. Monday, at Memphis, and Memphis have been really damn good this season. Um, then next Wednesday, they play the Cavs. Memphis a 10-game win streak, so they are exactly. playing at a super high level right now. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely agree with that. The Cavs have sort of maybe faltered slightly lately, but they're still really good, like despite all their injuries. And they still have the highest highest point differential in the East. So take that for what it's worth. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, next Friday, the Bulls play their first game against the Bucs. So that's going to be interesting before rounding out the following week against uh, the, the, the Orlando Magic next Sunday. So like... The next four or five games are going to be really damn tough before we're finishing that off against the Magic. But I I know it's going to be, I know we like to do predictions here, but I'm I'm kind of coy in making the predictions at this point because of where these injuries sort of sit. Also, the, 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 like the the kind of, you know, (laughs) the kind of talent the Bulls are going to be coming up against. But um, nonetheless, uh, uh, despite being coy about it, I'm going to go on the record here and will. I'm going to say the Bulls are absolutely going to destroy the Golden State Warriors. I've gone full C red here and I'm saying they're going to, uh, they're going to beat Steph Curry. They're going to beat the Warriors. The takes are going to be flying again and, um, people are just going to shut them down immediately though because Clay and Draymond are out. So that's my bold prediction here. I love the enthusiasm. Um, <laughs> I'm always just scared of the Warriors. So I am going to stay away from that one. But I think if they get three of these next five, I'll be very happy and go three and four over those seven games. I wouldn't be surprised if they go two and three. Um, I don't think that would be the end of the world at all, but if they can get through this stretch alive and still like, you know, in first place or within a game of first place in the East, I'll feel really good because following the just ringer that they have for the next five games, they have Orlando, OKC, Toronto, San Antonio, Portland, Orlando, Toronto, Indiana. So got a nice little bit of an easy stretch in the end of January and start of February where they can hopefully start to rack up some more wins, um, establish themselves in the East right before the trade deadline, and then roll into the second half of the season in the playoffs um, with a ton of talent, hopefully very healthy, hopefully COVID free and uh, playing at a high level. Yep, certainly agree. And uh, yeah, it all starts on Friday night against the Warriors. No clay, no dream on. So the Bulls really have no excuses Friday night, but uh, we'll see how that unfolds. But Will, thank you for joining me on this episode of Bulls HQ, as you always do. You can catch Will on Twitter at Won't Got Leave. You can get me at MK Hoops, the Bulls HQ podcast. is also on Twitter at Bulls HQ pod. Appreciate everyone from jumping on Spotify Green Room. Uh, tonight and being part of Bulls HQ live with us tonight. Our uh, first time we've done this, I believe, um, at least certainly this season. I may have done one last season, but um, this is, uh, I think, something we're going to be doing a little bit more of, Will. Yeah, I'm up for it. I think um, we got some good questions here at the end, but hopefully we'll be able to bring some more people up um, at a time when the Bulls are not playing a 9 p.m. local central time game. <laughs> um, it's very late in Chicago. I'm in... Uh, Pacific time zone. So it's a little bit earlier for me, Mark, you're obviously in the early afternoon out there in Australia. So we are awake, but, um, hopefully next time we do this, um, we'll have some more people jumping on stage. Yeah. look, to be fair, a lot of people probably went to bed after the third quarter anyway. So I'm not surprised that maybe they didn't stick around to, uh, to jump on, let alone <laughs> to watch the game sort of thing. So yeah, that, that, that's all good. Obviously, we'll be back next week to wrap up the latest in Bulls news, action uh, and games. Obviously, uh, we'll see how they sort of transpire over the next few days. I've already predicted it that they're going to beat the Warriors. Another prediction for you, Will, as we close here, Giannis is going to score 37 points, grab 19 rebounds against the Bulls next Friday, and people are going to be demanding the Bulls trade for a backup power forward who somehow is going to stop Giannis in the playoffs. I guarantee you that's going to happen as well. (laughs) Well, uh, clairvoyant Mark, we'll see what happens. I've gone full Bull Simmons now, but we'll call it there. Thank everyone for tuning in to uh, Bulls HQ. Speak next time.
I'm Amira Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.